الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فانكحوا ما تاب لكم من النساء سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم what i'm going to do is actually part 2 About six, seven of you were not here for part one. Part one was actually, this is technically part three. Part one was about why we should not have unlawful desires and lust. And how the deen of Islam tries to train us to suppress our nafs, to control our gaze, to control our desires, to lower our gaze. Part two was to explain what the concept of nikah is in our deen. because if we really understand what relationship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends for a man and woman to have then we would realize that what we do or what we want to do or what is on offer or on sale for us is so far from that intended ideal that uh is so far from that intended ideal we would not be interested in it today is part 3 of 3 <laughs> and that was an after part 2 actually we got too many requests from people that tell us how to do nikah properly and we want to know an easy answer was you're not ready yet you should give me given this information when you were ready but then they have not given up they've been showing up in the office so rather than doing them one by one janab rather than doing them one by one we decided to do them together <laughs> right so how is it how can i go about finding the woman of my and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's dreams for me right in this world since 99% of you are probably unmarried maybe 100% of you ek to shaadi shuda baitha right 99% of you are unmarried right koi nahi do baitha maybe baitha this much i can let me first comment on the way that it is normally done as many things in pakistan people are at two extremes Number one is extreme is that they date several women and after dating one or more women they end up marrying the woman that they fell in love with this is very cutely called in Pakistan love marriage right the second extreme is what they call arranged marriage that whether or not they had any past indiscretions they at some point when they decide to actually marry they tell their mother that I'll simply marry whoever you and uh the family pick out for me this is also another extreme this is not what islam says and this actually itself causes can cause has the potential to cause serious problems and some of you may have seen that in your elder generation this can cause problems so the deen of islam wants that you should have as ideal and as happy a married life as possible again from last time we mentioned the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said in nikah hu nisful iman that nikah is half of your iman which means the nikah is the takmil of your iman the nikah is only going to be able to be takmil of your iman if you're living a happily spiritually married life both things and arranged marriage is not the best way to do that certainly it's better than the love marriage in the sense that you stay away from the sins of dating and interacting with the opposite gender in an unlawful way and that sense it is better but in attaining the objective it is not necessarily better and it's a very big dilemma that people have well okay well, how is it then i'm not allowed to talk to girls ishara mil raha if i'm not allowed to talk to girls 
how is it? How am I supposed to get married? And now you're saying arrange marriage be out here, right? So here, abhi shadi karvai, karvai bhi sakte, karvai bhi sakte, molvi amnika parha sakte. That is number one. To repeat what we said before is that the Prophet said that you must select your spouse, number one, on the basis of her taqwa and deen. Number two, taqwa and deen. Number three, taqwa and deen. And after that, beauty, wealth, lineage, family, etc., etc. So what we have to do is we have to find some way within the sharia that we can ascertain all of this and ascertain compatibility. It's doable. It requires some innovation, right? Some creativity. But it doesn't mean it's not doable. Number one, is that if you are fortunate enough to have a sister who knows you and who shares your dini sensibility or at least can identify your dini sensibility, then you should ask your sister to look at different women. The women can be suggested from anywhere. It doesn't really matter where the suggestion, the prospect, we can take candidates from anywhere. We're open people. <laughs> the khala can recommend, the manami can recommend, the mother can recommend, the sister can recommend, my friend's sister can recommend. We're open to any and all candidates. We take all applications. Now who's going to process those applications, right? That is going to be number one, some woman who knows you. That's the best way. Let me, I will save, I'll tell you a little bit later why maybe your mother is not always the best. Some woman other than your mother who knows you. Your mother should also be involved. But some woman other than your mother who knows you. It can be your sister. Could be a cousin who for some reason or the other happens to know you intimately. Right? That cousin should go and meet that girl. That cousin could try to find out about that girl. Women have their own network. You, I tell a girl that, oh, can you find out something about X who goes to BNU? She'll, within 24 hours, she'll come back with a complete report. <laughs> she will have her friends, her friends' friends, within X degrees of separation, she will be able to get me the whole lowdown on the BNU girl, the behind-the-scenes report, right? So a woman in your family can do that. If you don't have a woman in your family, then if you have a close friend, perhaps the sister can do that. The sister doesn't know you, ideally, right? Your friend's sister doesn't know you, but she can find out about the girl. And through your friend, she can give you information about that woman, and then you can try to assess the compatibility yourself. So whether it's a sister, whether it's a sister of a friend, it's a cousin, some woman should try to get to know what as much as she can about that prospective spouse. Second is that the Sharia does, uh, and then obviously your mother should, and this is something in Pakistan that many of you live or plan to live in joint families, and in, in that instance, or not even a joint family, but you plan to live at home with your parents. Although the Deen of Islam has actually said that it is the right of a woman to insist and demand, and if she does that, it becomes farth on her husband, to the extent that he is monetary capable to provide a separate home for her. Because the Deen of Islam is predicted this sas-bahu relationship, right? That doesn't always go well. And a woman needs her own space. She needs a place that she can call home. At least you should have a portion, right? Portion doesn't mean just room. means separate kitchen, separate entrance, ideally, right? So that a woman feels that she has her own place that she calls home. She can interact with the parents, but she has her own place called home. If you intend not to do this, and you intend to hope to find a woman who would forego that right or doesn't know about that right or would never ask about that right, then obviously you need a woman who has monosphate with your mother because when you are gone from the home all day long, she is going to be sitting with your mother. 
in essence, by day she will be married to your mom, and by night she is married, weekend she is married to you. So then your mother obviously needs to meet her, right? I'll go one step further, you have to be honest with your own self about what your mom is like. Ideally, all of us have wonderful women as mothers. And we do. But every human being has some shortcomings. You should also think that what is a woman that my mother is going to be able to be compatible with, right? Who would be able to get along with my mother? If you think that way, that's a good thing if you plan that way. In any case, in old age, perhaps even if you live separately, your parents would live with you. But that's normally less problematic. When your parents live with you, it's okay because your parents live in a bedroom and you and your wife are control of the mahal of the whole house. When you and your wife live with your parents, your parents control the environment in the mahal of the whole house and you and your wife have a bedroom or two rooms unless you have a complete separate portion, right? So your mother obviously should be involved. The next thing is if somebody passes the screening, that whatever you get from all the women who is permissible for you to talk to, sister, etc., all the reports you get, the woman is passed. Then it is permissible in the Sharia, and I'm going to go one step further, and it's a bit of a modern fatwa, is actually recommended that you and her should actually discuss key life issues to make sure that you are being honest with one another and that you really are compatible with another. What are your goals and visions about the deen? What are her goals and visions perhaps about working, children? The major, major things in life should be discussed beforehand. And they can be discussed in a way that's permissible with the Sharia. Many of these things, because there's nothing personal, intimate in them, can be discussed in the presence of some adult male family member or some group. If you feel... Okay, so that's the first level. If for some reason you feel that she's not opening up to you because her mother is there, her father is there, or her brother is there, your sister is there, whatever it is, there will be certain stuff that she would tell you in front of other people. If you still feel that, no, perhaps there may be something that I want to ask her or something she might want to tell me or reveal to me, then what you do is you get together in a larger room and you stay within sight of somebody else but outside of earshot. So large living room, there are other people there in the room and you do that only to the extent that it's permissible. You ask whatever it is that you wanted to ask or you say whatever it is that you wanted to say. Ideally, even this should be done. I mean, I'm going to say the ideal, but most of you are not maybe on that level where you observe strict parda from women and the women that you marry or may not going to be women who observe parda anyway. But within the Islamic framework, this would be done still. All of this, both of these things, talking in front of the relatives or in the presence of relatives but outside of the earshot would be done behind a partition. Because right now, you're just getting to know her emotionally. Right? If she passes the second test of compatibility. Then there are two things that are left. One is that you have to make sure that she is physically attractive enough for you. One way to do that is possibly also to trust upon some woman who tells you that she's pretty. But the Prophet has said that you can look at a woman once with the need to determine whether she is sufficiently attractive enough for you for you to be happily married to her such that you would not be distracted in any other direction. How to go about this practically can be extremely awkward, <laughs> right? Especially the more Sharia compliant you were up to this point, as in doing everything properly and behind the partition and all of that, and to all of a sudden gaze. And it's also a very delicate matter, because you don't want to hurt the woman's feelings. You see, if the woman feels that, okay, everything's fine, the parents like each other, we've had these discussions, there seems to be compatibility, everything, 
and then the boy sees her and then they never come back, it's quite clear that the reason, right, things didn't go further is because she wasn't attractive. So that's why the first stage of figuring out she's attractive, yet, that's where your mother can come in very handy. Uh, because your mother is going to be perhaps even more scrupulous and have even more scrutiny and hot, tough criteria than you. So have your mom, siblings, etc. If they, if they pass her on that, then do the compatibility check. Right? You should spare. You should be sensitive because she is your fellow Muslim. She's a Muslimah. You don't want to hurt her feelings. Right? But if everybody around you seems to think that she would be attractive enough for you, right? Then look at the compatibility. No need to look at her if you're not going to like her personality in the first place. If that compatibility personality issue has also been done, then comes the time for you to look at her. Ideally, what a person should do to make sure that this isn't the last thing is to save something. Some question, some discussion between the parents, some issue on timeline, something for after that looking so that in the, in the event that you may end up saying no, that for whatever reason you felt she wasn't attractive enough for you, that's not the last thing that happens. So there may be some other bahana they might think that acha or nadeklia or baadmenu kuch timeline ki baat ki or shayad uspaksi wo Right? So that at least give her parents a way to explain to her so that her feelings aren't hurt and it's not pinpointed that okay, he didn't like the way you look and that's why. Right? I would also suggest that if there's a woman who meets the criteria of deen and taqwa and compatibility and your family likes her and the family like each other and everything else is there, then you should think, right, that are you really such a handsome stud yourself that you deserve to marry the most beautiful woman on earth? Right? Right? Not saying at the other hand, I'm not going to the extreme, but don't. Sometimes some guys, jeep, and I've done this, guys are totally, themselves really, are nothing special to look at, but they think that they should. Oh, it's very rare, you know. The girl's also going to look at you, and this does happen, by the way. This does happen that the girl can tell her mom that he looks like he's 40, he's already losing his hair, he's in his 20s, he's plump, he's overweight, but then he can't, right? This also happens. This also can happen, right? And you must make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You must make lots of dua, we already covered this before last time, and you must make istikhara at this event. Don't ask, no need to ask anybody else to make istikhara for you. Istikhara means that you have looked at the, number one, that you have already looked at the decision from the perspective of all of the hidayat, the talimat of the deen. Whatever the deen has to teach us and instruct us on this matter, Allah Ta'ala, I've looked at this matter from that perspective. Number two, I've done mushfar for my elders, my family elders, my religious elders, or if it's a different decision, some master in that field, my professor, etc. After having done all of that, now I do istikhara, which means Allah subhanahu wa I'm submitting, presenting my heart to you. And I want you to incline my heart, this is called melan qalb If this, if going through with this matter is best for my akhirah, best for my deen, and good for my dunya, then I ask you to incline my heart towards it and make it easy for me to do it. However, if this matter is not best for my akhirah, best for my deen and my life in this dunya, I ask you to turn my heart away from it, make me easy to leave it, and grant me that which is better than it. And when you do that, you're actually waiting not for some dream or some sign, or as we explained to you, not for some coincidence. Coincidence means that the girl's name was Aisha, right? And you're driving around town, you stop at Kalimachak and you see Aisha Fabrics, a big billboard. 
So this big billboard is not the jawab to your istikhara. This is very simply in English, Asher Saab, coincidence. Not marketing. Don't get so trapped marketing. Aap log marketing padte hain aur padhate hain aur tamasha karwate hain dunya mein marketing ke naam se. Log ki istikhara kharaab karte hain. Huh? Janab. Aisha Fabrics is just a coincidence. What you're looking for is an inexplicable turning of the heart. Not because you saw a sign, not because your khala said something, not because anything. An inexplicable turning of the heart. Because you cannot explain that turning of the heart to any zahari sabab, you will explain that turning of the heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That He is the one who is inspiring your heart. Even if you see a dream, you're supposed to see the state of your heart after the dream. Not after the dream, how do I mentally or intellectually interpret the dream? No. After the dream, is my heart all of a sudden for it or against it? If my heart is equally still confused, that dream was not a jawab to your stikhara. The dream was a product of your psyche. And whatever you happened to be thinking that night before you went to sleep. Alright? Istikhara must be done. And you can do it for a day, seven days. You can keep doing it. But obviously every decision has a time limit, right? That eventually at some point you have to decide. If that time limit expires and you have to make a decision and you do not feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has inspired your kalb one way or the other, then what we do is we fall back on our iman bil ghayb. That we have iman in the unseen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is unseen. All of his rahmats, for example, that are coming down at this moment on this masjid are unseen. So his madad and his nusrat, his jawab to that istikhar is also unseen. In other words, we will go ahead and make the decision then to the best of our apparent ability with the complete iman, kamal iman, yaqeen that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has responded to our istikhara. And he is guiding us in this process, but in a way that is unseen to us. We cannot ascertain his madad by feeling a clear and discerned Milan of the kalb, a clear inclination of the heart. And then, if you have made that istikhara, you have made that dua, you were sincere, then Allah Ta'ala's barakah will be in that decision. Istikhara can be invalidated or istikhara can be crippled. If number one, you are trying to make a decision without using the Quran and Sunnah criteria. So the Prophet said, focus most on her deen and taqwa. If you go around picking a girl just on the basis of her beauty and then do istikhara, istikhara is less likely to be successful because you didn't follow the procedure outlined in the deen in the first place. Or secondly, if you're trying to do istikhara about some girl you had some unlawful relationship with, well, having an unlawful relationship with a girl, maybe or maybe not, that has to be decided on a case-by-case basis. Whether that should be converted to a lawful one or whether she should be left. That can be done only on a case-by-case basis, alright? But let's say that it's open for now without looking at a particular case, that both possibilities are there. Either you can leave her, right? Obviously, immediately you must leave her. The question is, do I leave her and that's it? Or do I leave her until and unless I can make the relationship lawful in a way that is pleasing to my Lord, right? That is also possible. That second decision, if you want to do that, has to be not because you already have fallen in love with her or she's already the most beautiful woman you've met. has to be because she actually meets the sunnah criteria. Normally it's unlikely. Normally it's unlikely that a girl who is to be known for her deen and taqwa would have had some relationship with you. But again, let's be honest at the level we're talking at, right? Just like I said, 
you're not the most handsome stud. We're also not the most muttaki, praise God, insan either. And we're going to wait for some waliya or some alima or some hafiza to come into our life, right? So everybody has to look at their own level. But what you should try to do is relative to yourself, you should try to find a woman who is more religious than you. That is for you, deen and taqwa. That she is more, not equal, more. More religious than you. Because inshallah ta'ala, and your niyat in that should be. Must be clear, not there are other types of men who marry women who are more religious with the need to drag them down. Or just to keep them as uh, ornament in the home while they continue doing the garbar that they did before marriage. So much again, not with that niyat. The niyat is I want to marry a woman who is more religious than me with the niyat that I can raise myself to her level. That she will be a means of helping me. That spiritual with the whole other talk we mentioned. Right? That a woman is a spiritual companion. Right? And that is a unique thing about our deen. No other deen says this in the world. Christianity says you want to be spiritual, be celibate. Don't get married. Buddhism says you want to be spiritual, don't get married. Hinduism says you want to be spiritual, don't get married. Deen of Islam says you want to be spiritual, get married to a pious woman. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Totally different. It's unique. Judaism is neither here nor there. No real difference. So you should marry a woman who is at least more religious than you. Right? And with the niyat that I would like myself to reach your level and then for the two of us together to continue to grow. Right? Because our whole life, basically the essence of our life is about pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that has to be the asal of everything that we do. So that is also the asal of our marriage. For those of us who are married, we should make the deed of this niyat. Perhaps sometimes you will find in a marriage you fall into a rut or you fall into a routine. And then you just become co-managers of a household. That it becomes your hakikat. Co-raisers of children or co-managers of a household. So we have to make sure, right, that just like these people in the West go on their second honeymoon and third honeymoon to reunite what for them was the asl. The asl for them was the lust. That's why they got married. So to reunite, revive, not reunite, rather to revive that their asl, they go on these things. So we also should think about reviving our asl. That perhaps going with one's wife to Umrah or spending some time, spending a weekend with some wife in some religious setting or even at home, but trying to do something to reconnect to the asal relationship between us, which is a relationship based on spirituality. No, I don't do this normally at the night beyond, but if anybody has any questions, right, because I'm not, this probably have not covered everything, right, any questions on maybe things that you guys see that happen in this country or things that you do, what is allowed to do, what is not allowed to do in terms of seeking a wife mother. To marry your first cousin, or any second, whatever, any level of cousin in Islam is just permissible. It's not preferable to marry within your family, and it's not preferable not to marry within your family. It's a completely neutral thing. What is mentioned in Islam is that one should not prefer family or brothery or caste over deen. So if your mom insists that you have to marry someone in the brother, you have to insist that she finds somebody who is at a level of deen and munasbat with you. Within that brother, otherwise you're not going to be able to marry. And you cannot go into the blind range marriage. Very few, I mean that's like luck. How many of you do that? It's like a, what we call grab bag in America. Right? That's really what an arranged marriage is. It's taking a chance. It's taking a chance. Right? 
you can change the arranged marriage a bit. And the way I said to you, still the parents can initiate the process, initiate the selection, suggest someone to you. But you have to assess that compatibility. You must do that. You must do that. If a person feels that marrying a first cousin is going to increase the likelihood of genetic disease or some other type of medical disorder, that still does not determine their decision. If they want to, because of that, they can say, I don't want to marry my first cousin. Because of that reason, Islam says, Hanjais, you can choose not to marry for that reason. If a person says that, no, that's a negligible thing, I'd like to marry anyway, Islam says, fine, you can go and marry anyway. So Islam does not regulate, recommend, dislike, and anything. Marriage of first cousin. Right? Most of the guys have this question, if I leave the bed, I'm going out, she'll do suicide, she'll do something. If I leave the girl I'm going out with, she will do suicide. Yeah, she does different things. Wow, this is a bit <laughs> I mean, this is because we think that we are so essential to them. 99.9999% of the times they get over you. I hate to break this news to you, right? <laughs> but they actually, <laughs> they actually get over you. You may not get over them, Allahu Alam, but they're able to get over you and you will inshallah be able to get over them as well, right? But sometimes there is this feeling, right, that a person has, number one, fine, she commits suicide. Sometimes people say she will leave the deen. Like, it could have been that I, the boy, was the more religious one than the girl. And because of me, kabhi kabhi wo namaz padhti thi, ya main ko kehta rehta tha, main usko chhod dun, to wo deen se badzan ho jayegi, wo jo namaz hai, meri khatir padhti thi, wo bhi gay. So you should think that, okay, look, there's, every time you do an action that is against the wish of Allah, there will be negative negativity. And any time and every time, any time and every time you do something or leave something for the sake of Allah, there will be barakah. So if you leave her for the sake of Allah, you can make dua to Allah subhanahu Ya Allah, due to this act, this sacrifice I'm making only for your sake, I ask you to put barakah in this and let there not be any negative repercussions to this parting. Rather, I ask that you increase both of us in hidayah individually and separately. Perhaps grant us that hidayah that we were mahrum of because we were together in an unlawful way. Now that we have separated Allah open up for us again the doors of your mercy, the gates of your blessings, the flood of your hidayah. And if you make that dua, inshallah, Allah subhanahu is muhafiz. Right? And He will inshallah take care of that matter. He can nurture her heart better than you can. If he enters her life, then that is the best thing for her heart. Much more than any words or card or SMS that you can send her. Right? And so that should be the goal. Right? So when should not be... Yes? Yes, I have my own... Yes, the Sharia actually prefers that a person should get married as soon as they feel the need to get married. Whenever they feel that need, that need will be defined for as a man that if a man starts feeling too much attraction to the opposite gender... Then the Prophet said fasting. Fasting was something that worked for the Sahaba, it doesn't seem to work for you guys, right? Fasting, nafil fasting, it does have an effect. It does have an effect, it dampens something, it cools the flames. But you see, if you throw water on the flame and then every day again you ignite it, and then you throw water and then you ignite it, so that's why fasting doesn't have an effect, actually. It's not because the sunnah is not common. The sunnah is common, fasting is a cure. But if I take a medicine that is guaranteed to be a cure for a cold and then I go out again and without a sweater in the snow, I'm going to get sick again. Every day I can take the medicine, every day I go out with the sweater. That's what we do. We can do the nafil fast, but then again we do bad nazri. So we ourselves negate the barakat or the benefit, the nafil of that fast. 
So then the second step is then get married if you were able, right? The problem is, is that Pakistani society does not let you get married until you completely settle down, right? One should try, number one, to get settled down, then ASAP, and number two, one should try along the way if they still can't wait to explain to their parents, right? It's possible to be a student and be married, right? Ah, it's possible. You should try to explain to your parents, sir, you're on picking on him, I'm asking about that. So, you should uh, try to explain to your parents. And Maki Sat, Jo Allah Ta'ala, Aapko Mard Aurat Ko Alag Alag Risk Pocha Ratha, Grab Shadi Kerle, to Aapko Milakar Bi, Bohi Allah Ta'ala Risk Pocha Sakte. Welcome, Ziada Barkat Hoti Nikah Kiba. Nikah is actually a suburb of risk. Nikah brings its risk, right? I would suggest that a man should not get married before the age of 20. I would say 20 would be the minimum age, and I would suggest 25 is the latest age. Sunno Pishtivana. 25 should be the latest maximum age. And depending on their need, depending on their urge, depending on their feeling, they should get married closer to 20. But again, unfortunately, perhaps parents and society won't let you get married. It's a very rare person who may be able to delay it further. That is somebody who is extremely serious about his deen. Maybe somebody goes and lives in the madrasa for a few years and studies. In that environment where he's able to stay away from interaction with the opposite gender, he may be able to last longer. But if you are in this environment, whether it's the university or the workplace in which you're interacting at an extremely intense level with members of the opposite, you will not be able to last that long and therefore it's better to get married early. I would, my own personal feeling is that the minimum age for a girl is 18. A girl shouldn't get married before 18. But even if she waits till 2022, that's probably good for her. 25 would be too late for her. I would say by 22, 23, she should be married. Yes. It's not necessary. It's not necessary in any way. There's nothing mentioned in the psalm that there should be an age difference. As you know, Rasulullah married women who were older, younger, same age, similar age, etc. Perhaps one of the hikmats in that some people take out is that it doesn't make any difference. But it is traditional in Pakistan that they prefer that there should be some age difference between a man and a woman. The only benefit I can see in that is if you marry a woman who is younger than you, that perhaps because of the age difference also she may be more likely to accept you as the emir of the household, which is the designation that Allah Ta'ala has given you. Sometimes when you marry a woman who is exactly your peer, your same age, she may not be. She should be. She should have that Islamic understanding, but sometimes that is one thing that maybe age can give you an edge, right? But other than that, I cannot think of any real reason. So if you, you know, but that is the thing. A custom in Pakistan is very; they don't like it if you marry a girl who's one or two years older than you. But and as far as Islam is concerned, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Yes. On that, on that, the, the Mufassirin have commented on that. That is not for a person who's the Toba. The technical meaning of that ayat actually is if a person does zina, a zani, he should only marry a woman who was also a zaniya. That's only if he has not done Toba. If there is a man or a woman who has done zina in his or her life, kamil zina or nakis zina, partial or complete, it doesn't mean that they can only now marry somebody who is like that. Right, they should not think like that. Rather, they should do tawbah. If they do istighfar and true tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they become amongst the tayyibin and tayyibat, and therefore they can marry a pure and chaste woman. 
or she can marry a pure and chaste man. Right? Take. Yes. You mentioned a talk between the you can use email, you can use phone, email, phone are better ways, more safer ways, right? Uh, but I normally used to say that, and I've never even mentioned this, but I've had several cases in front of me now that maybe because email is a medium that also opens, lends itself to misunderstanding. I saw that in the emails, Jeep Tamasha Shurogyata. And then the initial niyat that was emailing was to assess compatibility. But I don't know, the guy wrote something or the girl wrote something that maybe was unclear, was misinterpreted. And also on the phone, I saw the similar thing. And actually, you know, sometimes phone can actually be a bit more intimate because it's just a one-on-one thing. Meeting in a room where there are other people present is actually maybe a bit more safe than the phone. I don't know, you know Whichever one is the most safe and whichever one is the most effective. It might be different for different people, right? Whichever one you can do within the bounds of the Sharia, and whichever one can most quickly and effectively and efficiently bring out the purpose would be the best one for you to use, right? So parents get angry on the fact that your wife wants to live in a separate house. I think the best solution to this is that if for some reason whatever reason the woman feels that she wants to live separately from your parents and you should live close but separate across the street or in the same lane as close as possible but separately so the woman should not the mother should feel that you're still very close by but at the end of the day you're right I mean there's some things that you just cannot people's feelings are feelings people do get emotionally sensitive about things at the end of the day you can try your best to sue them but your mother would be hurt and you have to make sure because that itself can then be a source of enmity that and then and it is a genuine it's not some soap opera thing it's genuinely actually factually she's correct that before the marriage her son was with her all the time and all she had to do was call and the son would come down right and now her son's living in a separate building so she is factually correct and, and maybe she has genuinely it's not some Obsessive possessive love It's a genuine motherly love for her son And she truly loves her son And likes him being there Right So Yeh Pakistan is systematic To take advantage of the good things in Pakistan Because in America You don't have these two story homes People don't live like that You have to double portion Double gate Garhena Is find no time And try to do something like that Or maybe make a wing Or something You know I mean I'm talking to this You're the class who has this luxury So use that luxury that you have And that may be a better solution that may be sort of a good compromise where the, the wife has her own place but at the same time the mother-in-law does not feel that my son has left me or abandoned me or anything like that. Say it again? If you have a relationship huh. with your wife, hmm. and then you get married with her. So what are the disadvantages? Would it always be successful or... You know, no, there's no, there's no always that it will always be successful or it will always be unsuccessful. Things that are necessary to give you a chance at success is number one, that there must you must leave her before you get married. You must leave her for the sake of Allah. Once you've left her for the sake of Allah, then you can unite with her for the sake of Allah. You must have the inkita, complete disconnect, complete separation. 
for until, until you can manage to marry her properly according to nikah. In the case when you don't leave her, you just have a relationship and then... Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. If you keep meeting her secretly until and unless you can actually do nikah, that has a lot of problems. And, and number one is that forget what it will do to your marriage. First let's talk about what it will do to your heart. It's a major sin, right? And so because of this sin, it will start crippling you spiritually. It will damage you spiritually, deeply. The number one damage perhaps, perhaps, Allah But one of the top damages that can happen to you spiritually is this. And for you to voluntarily do so, then for you to somehow think that nikah will eventually legitimize this past behavior. That's also a second sin that you're being dishonest with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Trying to pull a fast one on Allah. Asinayotam. Right? Third thing is that after you manage to do nikah, right, the bibarkati of what you did before may catch up with you because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes does punish us for those sins that we don't do tawbah for, He can punish us for them in this world as well. So if you didn't leave her, which is what you're saying, means you didn't do tawbah of that unlawful relationship, right? And so the punishment of that can come in kind, which means in the same relationship. And that can mean distrust, it can mean fights, it can mean etc, etc, right? And also, another fourth thing is that it's very difficult to gain the respect of a woman with whom you have sinned. When there comes a time when you try to do something or whatever, she's going to view you as a sinner. She's not going to say it ever, but she knows that usko to aap kiyo ki kut pata hai, ki aap kitne kachche hai. To jab usko pata hai ki aap kitne kachche hai, wo phir aapko kaise amir manenge, ghar ka amir. Ya apni zindagi ka amir Kaisi mushkil Mushkil You will lose izzat in her eyes How will you gain that izzat? And she will also lose izzat in your eyes So what type of marriage is that When the husband and wife have already lost their izzat in one another's eyes? It's not a good Not a good start Any really I mean this could be a whole separate talk Or a whole separate series Anybody involved in any unlawful relationship should really just terminate it immediately, swiftly and surely. If she is meant for you, Allah Ta'ala will deliver her back to you in a halal way. Really, there's just no... This is one thing in Islam, there's just no scope, which there's no gunjaish at all. There's just no way, no way. There's no way you can do this. Right? It will destroy you. As surely... As anything. Define fiance. No, no, I know the English meaning of fiance. Like even Islam fiance ki koi shari hasiyat nahi Islam does not recognize mangni fiance engagement baat paki hona baat hona either she's not your wife or she's your wife it's the black and white thing so by having baat paki with her the only reason you can talk to her is to assess compatibility but that should have been before she quote unquote became your fiance if you have now committed to her she's your betrothed you cannot talk to her until you have nikah People have put prashanu jate, right? Actually, it's your society that is sakht. That doesn't let you do nikah. What's the delay? It's the sakhti of your society, the sakhti of your parents. It's not the sakhti of the deen. 
Dean is saying, do nikah, we're ready, we want you to talk to her. Abhi nikah par. It's your society, right? It's your society that is doing sakti on you. But don't blame the deen. It's the society, culture, custom, rewards that is sakti. Allah Ta'ala wants that the second you identify her and you've gone through the whole process I told you, just do nikah. He wants that. He wants you to do it. And there's no benefit either. I also tell you, zabardas misunderstandings happen this way. Why? The type of cases that we have to do, with late night, long night, all night conversations, and then some, all of a sudden some atonic misunderstanding. You haven't even gotten married yet. You're having your first marital spat before nikah. <laughs> As fiancés, you're having marital spats. Tamasha Shiro again. There's no need. You know, that's why I say, and this is, not, this is also not ideal. What I'm about to tell you is not ideal, but it is permissible and it is preferable to all the other things that you were mentioning. Is that you should, if, if, if you reach such a stage, then you should have your nikah and have your rukhsati later. No problem. In other words, gap should not between be between engagement and nikah. Nikah slash rukhsati together. Gap can be between nikah and rukhsati. Have your nikah with that woman. And if your parents feel that nahi nikah, ye wo, wo to, barat ka din hona chahiye, falah, no problem, you can have another nikah. You can do tazdeen nikah. You can have your own family affair nikah, where it's just her parents, your parents, and a few people like that. And you have a nikah, and people should know. The nikah has to be known, right? Not that the chacha doesn't know and you're walking around with her and all of a sudden Gilbert chacha sees, right? People should know, but it doesn't have to be a big event. And if you want, up nikah dubara per hale, event per, bade per mana per, jasayak kar nisa, no problem. It's tajdeed in nikah. Nikah to ek dafa hota hai, it's put tajdeed kinta hai. Aap to har raat nikah per hainge, you will be saying kabil to, yes, tajdeed in nikah hota hai. Yes, it can happen. Yes. It should be minimal. That should also, this also has problems. This is what I'm saying, it's not ideal. If that gap is too long, that can also have problems. That can also have problems, you see, because, let me just explain it to you bluntly, is that nikah obviously gives you certain rights, and you can, rather entitlements, you do certain things, right? Everything becomes permissible. But those actions should, the permissibility of those actions should normally be accompanied by the fulfilling of rights. In other words, that you should only really be doing those actions when you're also providing that woman shelter, providing for her financial needs, being her caretaker, living with her, living as a proper unit. So in this period between Nikah and Rukhsati, that there's a slight discord there. That you're taking all the entitlements, but you're not providing all the rights. Let's just put it that way, right? And that's not the ideal situation. But if a person can try to save themselves from that and and say, okay, after nikah, I'll just talk or SMS or whatever. She's in a different place. Or maybe sometimes we'll meet, but we won't do everything. We'll save that for after Rukhsati, then that is, that is good. But most people cannot do that sabr for too long a period of time. So in the end, we come back to the same thing, that basically you should get married sooner rather than later. You should get married completely, fully, and sooner, rather than partially now and the rest later. And this is something really I would actually say is worth, I'm not going to say finding your parents, but it's worth insisting on with your parents. And you can do it, 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 you can do it,
क्या क्या नहीं मनवाते हैं गाड़ी पैसा मोबाइल छुट्टी पता नहीं क्या क्या आप लोग मनवाते रहते हैं सो दिस इज समथिंग दैट यू शुड मुनासिब वक्त पर शादी करना यू शुड ट्राई टू गेट फ्रॉम योर पेरेंट्स एंड इफ यू बिन अ गुड सन यू प्लीज दम बाई डूइंग वन योर स्टडीज एंड दिस एंड दैट एंड कैश इन ऑन दैट लिटरली यू मस्ट कैश इन ऑन दैट ऑन दिस इश्यू दिस इज द बिगेस्ट इश्यू फॉर मैन राइट एंड यू शुड ट्राई टू कैश इन ऑन दैट दोज ऑफ यू आर यंगर मे बी फ्रेशमैन सॉफ्टवर्स right start planning ahead try to get settled down as soon as possible right so that you can be married as soon as you can right some people just drag it on unnecessarily what happens when uh, there's also another disease the pakistani young man has he has what i call bachelor itis bas he just if he drags this not if he prolongs the marriage bas wo rut mein he just gets into this bachelor rut living a bachelor life he can't escape it He has haram ways to fulfill his lust, self-fulfillment or other ways of fulfillment. And bas, he's bas, baaki zindagi to thik chan rahe. Kaam chan rahe, doosto ke saath mil rao, woh bhi pura ho rahe. And then he gets caught up in this rut. Then what happens actually deep inside is the insecurity and fear of marriage. And the inability to even communicate and think of living with somebody of the opposite gender. This is one of the nuksanat of delaying marriage. Delaying marriage ke itne nuksanat hain, bahut nuksanat hain, bahut zyada. You should not delay marriage. Do not delay marriage. I'm giving you 25 as an absolute max. If you're still stuck in a PhD, get married. Tell your parents, "Am I kya? Kitna aur paise? How much more is it to support a woman?" Right? Yes. can't hear you fully what did he say huh yes yes do i said that you should do it on your own there is a raj in pakistan that a fulam buzurg sister khana karwai I think maybe you came in late. Istikhara is uh, that your heart is going to be inclined. That's it. You don't have to be. You can, a normal layman can do istikhara. A normal layman istikhara is just a request to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to incline your heart to whichever decision is better for your akhirah, deen, and also good for your dunya. Anybody can do that. Sometimes you will find this arwaz that kisi bade se family ke bade se ya bazurk istikhara karwana. This not that. This is also permissible. This is permissible. The notion there is that that's also a decision. For example, I can make it. This is hard that I can make a decision. Should I recommend this marriage or not? I don't know. Should I recommend it or not? So I ask Allah Taala to inspire my heart whether I should recommend the marriage or not. Right? That can be done. But the way it's kind of abused in Pakistan is that you have these like super puppos and super dadis who are like the like the family <laughs> witches, basically. Right? They do all the istikharas and they do all the tawizes and they, the hikim and the homeopath and they're doing like they have the cabinet asmay unki pas almari the almari aunties this is what I call them it's the auntie who has the famous almari the key that she wears around her neck all the time the closely guarded thing in the house is the key to that almari <laughs> now she does an istikhara I've been on logon ki istikhara ajeeb 
پتہ نہیں کیا عجیب چیزیں اس سے نکلتے ہیں اس میں بھی بڑے عجیب مسائل ہم نے دیکھے عجیب اور غریب رائٹ اللہ والم مجھے کچھ پتہ نہیں وقت گزارنا پڑتا ہے رائٹ اینڈ سم ٹائمس اٹس آلسو دس فیملی تھنگ دیٹ ویلی دا خالہ وانٹڈ یو ٹو میری ہر ڈاٹر اینڈ دیر از ٹو مینی ایشوز دیر سو آئی ووڈ دس فیملی ایلڈر تھنگ آئی ڈونٹ ریلی بائنڈ ٹو دیٹ یو وانٹ ٹو گیٹ عالم اور شیخ ٹو ڈو اٹ فار اٹس ویری ویئر دیٹ سم بڈی ول ڈو اٹ فار یو ویری ویئر بیٹر دیٹ یو ڈو اٹ فار یور سیلف بیٹر دیٹ یو ڈو اٹ فار یور سیلف رائٹ یس نو No, no, nothing like that. The question is that do you have to wait four and a half months or maximum? No, no, there's nothing, nothing like that. There's nothing like that. There, well, you don't need to know that. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. Yeah. Huh? There's nothing like that for Nikan or something like that. I want to get married as soon as possible, but apparently they are not following the gene as they should. So even after getting married, the Masla is doesn't solve شادی کے بعد کیا ہوتا ہے at other women. So it's a sin. It's a sin. But that does not mean in any way that they have to first purify themselves of this sin before they get married. No. Right? They should still get married. If, if they follow that whole process and met a proper person, then they should get married to that person. They should not say that I can't get married until I first I fix myself so I don't do the sin. Inshallah, in most cases, marriage is able to prevent a person from doing that. If it's not able to prevent them entirely, it can greatly help them. From doing that, then that person should seek help from the Mashaikh on how to control his lust, how to control his case. He must put himself into therapy, into counseling. If he wants to be cured, he will definitely be cured. There's no person in the world who wants to be cured of a spiritual illness and is sincere about that and is trying for that, except that Allah Ta'ala will definitely cure him. It's guaranteed. Allah Ta'ala guides the ones who want guidance. Allah Ta'ala cures the ones who want to be cured. If we're not, maybe it's because we don't want it enough, we don't have enough talab, we haven't been making enough effort for it. Right? Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, you created us beings that you wanted us to be amongst the mutatahireen. Ya Allah, you wanted to be amongst the pure ones. Ya Allah, we ask your forgiveness on this night. Forgive us for all of our impurities. Ya Allah, we have defiled our nafs, we have defiled our hearts. Ya Allah, we have defiled our bodies. 
Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we have chosen the path of Nijasa as opposed to the path of Tahara. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to shower your maghfirah upon us. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we did with our eyes. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we did with our minds. Ya Rabbi Kareem, forgive us for all the sins that we did with our actions, our limbs and our organs. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us najat, salvation from an unlawful desire. Ya Allah, we ask you to out of your mercy to put barakah into our life, to shower your hidayah and guidance to our life. Ya Allah, to guide us to the pious, righteous spouse that you wish us to be destined for. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to forgive us for all the sins that we do. We ask you to extract us from those sins that we are committing in the present. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make it easy for us to leave them. Ya Allah, make it difficult for us to stay in them. Ya Allah, let us take away our eyes from the pleasure that we see. And Ya Allah, instead divert our gaze towards your azmat and your majesty. Ya Allah, take away our awareness of the false pleasures. And Ya Allah, make us aware of the true pleasures, the halawat of iman, the lazat of ibadat. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we wish to trade each and everything for you. We ask you to post the true hakiki love for you in our heart. Allahumma inna nas'aluka humbaka wa humba man yuhibbuk. Ya Allah, we ask you that we wish to increase in our heart's love for you, and our love for those who love you, and our love for those who are beloved to you, and our love for all of those a'mal and actions that will lead us to you, and our love for all of those actions, statements, feelings, and thoughts that are beloved to you. And Ya Allah, we ask you to put a karahat in our hearts, a dislike and repugnance in our hearts for all of those things that are even slightly displeasing to you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you for that ni'mat azima, for that most greatest ni'mat, that ni'mat uzma. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you for a pious and a righteous spouse. Ya Allah, we ask you that you make us in such a way that we are worthy and deserving of such a pious spouse. We ask you that you transform our adab and our akhlaq, increase us in our ibadat and our Mal increase us in our amal on the Quran and the Sunnah so that we may be more worthy of getting a pious and righteous spouse. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we wish to do each and everything in this life for your sake, each and everything in this life for your name, each and everything in this life seeking your pleasure and your love. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let marriage be amongst one of those things. Ya Allah, any one of us who may be involved in something in the past, in the present, or who is involved in something in the past, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to open our eyes to the hakikat of our situation. Let us see ourselves as mired as we really are. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us in najat from this, to grant us an emancipation from this. Liberate us from the shackles of our nafs. Liberate us from the shackles of our unlawful desire. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to give us the tawfiq to lower our gaze. Make us people of taqwa. Make us people who can control our nafs. Ya Allah, due to this barakah of this month of Ramadan, to the barakah of your kalam in the Quran, la'allukum tattakun. Ya Allah, we ask you that we have been fasting for these few days. We've been rising in the night in worship. We've been praying our taraweeh. Ya Allah, we ask you to make us people of taqwa. Make us amongst the ranks of the muttaqeen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, put barakah in our life. Put barakah in our future. Save us from destroying that barakah with our own hands. Rabbana takabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim. Wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabul rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya alhamdulillahimeen. Amen.